When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 131, and we're recording on July 27th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we're talking about school stories that are not Harry Potter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> even though I definitely am always tempted to talk about Harry Potter. One day, we'll do an episode that's just us talking about Harry Potter. I feel like that should be, maybe that'll be like an anniversary or like number 50 or something. We'll set it for a, for a special day. (laughs) It's going to be our three hour episode. (laughs) 16 hours of Sharifa and Jen geeking out about Harry Potter. Are you ready for this? I don't think anybody is. (laughs) No one's, we're not ready for it. We're not. (laughs) Well, today is not that day, probably to everyone's relief. (laughs) Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to Shelby, who sent out the best email that we have so far received. So I just had to read some of it on air. Uh, Shelby said, I have a confession to make. I have been getting annoyed by the number of times the long way to a small angry planet was being recommended by you two. I finally went to an independent bookstore and bought it slightly out of spite. It is amazing. Amazing! If I had a podcast, I would be shoveling it down my listeners' ears as well. LOL. Anyway, thanks for annoying me into buying the book. I loved it. Can I just, so I mean, can we bask in that for a moment? <laughs> Jen was telling me about this. Like, she alerted me to it as yeah. soon as she read it. And I was like, I was smiling like a total doofus. It was so, so good. And I feel like that's our, it, maybe it's our superpower is to make people read books out of spite. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, if if, it, if, it, if annoying people is what it gets you to, like, read the book that I will not shut up about, like, I feel okay about that. I feel very okay. I feel fine. Um, So thank you, Shelby, for providing like one of the best emails I've ever received for sure. Um, And the definitely the best email that SFF has received so far. Um, And I also want to thank the people who sent in Harlan Ellison recommendations. We get a bunch. Um, So at some point, hopefully we will get around to reading them (laughs) and tell you what we think. But thank you in advance. Yes, thank you, everyone. And before we get started with our news um, pieces, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, and that is Suicide Club by Rachel Hong, which is a novel about living published by Henry Holt and Company. So here's what it's about. Leah Carino is a lifer, which means that a roll of the genetic dice has given her the potential to live forever if she does everything right. After the return of her estranged father, Leia is drawn into the mysterious world of the Suicide Club, a network of powerful, rebellious individuals who reject society's pursuit of immortality and choose to live and die on their own terms. 
Leia is forced to choose between a sanitized immortal existence and a short, bittersweet time with a man she has never really known, but who is the only family she has left. I feel like I'm going to cry when I read this. Yeah, I get tense. that sense with, with some books. Um, I actually got this book in the mail and it looks incredible. And I was so happy to see that it was written by a Singaporean woman. Because I'm half Singaporean. I don't know. <laughs> I have to represent. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if you're interested in books that focus on humanity and wellness, this is one. This is also described as dystopian escapism with heart. It sounds incredible. The book cover is absolutely gorgeous. So thank you again to Suicide Club by Rachel Hong and Henry Holton Company for sponsoring today's show. So let's talk about some news. And mm. I think, you know what? Actually, since Shelby is now a fan of Becky Chambers and The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, <laughs> maybe we should just give her some more reading <laughs> for when she's done because we just found out that Becky Chambers is coming out with some new books as well as N.K. Jemison. So we've got two really exciting Um, upcoming releases so Becky Chambers is doing a pair of solar punk novellas and to be honest I have not read a lot of solar punk so I feel like maybe this is going to be a good intro to the subgenre for me because I already know I really like uh, her writing and I feel like it's right up my alley and it sounds like these books are going to be similar to the style of the long way to small angry planet so um, she's writing solar punk, a uh, solar punk novella series, and this is for Tor. Um, and so they're just basically in this piece, they're talking about how excited they are to work with, to work with her. And um, there's not too much information about the actual books, but it does say that the first book in the series, we've got to wait a little while. <laughs> the first book in the series is going to hit shelves in 2020, which sounds like a futuristic time. Like it doesn't even <laughs> seem realistic to me. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll see it in 2020. And then N.K. Jemison is publishing her first short story collection, which is super exciting. I've never read, I don't know if she's, written short stories in other publications um but I have never read one by her and um another author I know I love her writing and I'm sure a lot of you out there do as well so the short story collection is going to be called How Long Till Black Future Month excellent title by the Mm -hmm. way (laughs) and it's going to be available in audiobook format which is really good news for people like me who really rely on audiobooks um and so the collection is going to be published by Orbit, and the stories are going to draw parallels between our present-day society and the fantastical realm, as well as presenting our world as an alternate universe that aliens try to make sense of. Sorry, aliens. There is no <laughs> chance you will understand our society. <laughs> Just don't even try. <laughs> exactly. So those are super exciting, and um, I'm really looking forward to reading those. And by the way, N.K. Jemison's uh, collection is going to be out November of this year, November 27th, so we don't have as long to wait for that one. Um, are you excited? 
I'm, I'm, are you kidding me? I'm like (laughs) already pre-ordered it. Um, I'm so excited about it. Yeah. About the short story collection. I did hear her read a short piece that I could swear won an award, but now I can't remember. Um, and it was amazing. Of course it was amazing. She's like, NK Jemison is just amazing. So yeah, I'm super jazzed about that. And I will say for our Becky Chambers fans who are like moaning about having to wait so long, which I am one. Um, the third book in the Wayfarer series, Record of a Spaceborn Few, is out this week. Oh, good or, point. Well, this week as of the time of this recording. So it'll be out for sure by the time you hear this. And you should definitely get it. It's a really interesting book. Uh, different yet again from Longway and Closed in Common Orbit in a really great way. So, yeah. And and I've been diving into solar punk and I'm here for it. Like, Yay. it's... It's it's optimistic science fiction, which I feel like we could all yes. use a little bit more of. And there's usually, I think it's part of the genre definition that it focuses on sustainable technologies. So I'm really curious to see like what sustainable tech she will be playing with. So, ooh, I now I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm into book. it. I'm into it. Um, all right, I want to sandwich some like crazy in between the nice things. Yes. <laughs> So the crazy that I want to talk about is Worldcon, which (laughs) if, yeah, if you've been, if you've been, if you're part of the sci-fi fantasy Twitter ecosystem and you follow a lot of writers, you've probably seen some of this going down. Um, There's a really great write-up that Alex Axe slash Alex Wells, who was on the show, uh, you might recall, did um, for Book Riot that we're going to link in the show notes that breaks all of it down. But the gist of it is that the organizers were having some really weird internal issues, including things like not putting Hugo nominee writers on programming panels because they're quote unquote not exciting enough. Um, They misgendered uh, uh, people in their bios. Um, They changed writers' bios, which doesn't make any sense. Um, They like put weird dress codes in emails. They didn't address any accessibility issues. Like it just sounds like if I just like, it just sounds like I don't I, I I don't know any generous way to talk about this. Like if there was a bingo card of things you shouldn't do as a like a con organizer, like it sounds to me like they hit bingo. Um and it's it's incredibly frustrating from a like my background is an event organization and just every response that I saw that they put forward until the most recent one in which they like they did sincerely apologize and said they were taking down the programming as it currently stood and we're going to rework it. Um, but they you know this argument that you you have to only have big names and then they've put those big names on like eight to ten panels like that's not that's not how you that's not how you do it. Like you do need big names to sell tickets. Of course you do. But the point of a good panel should be that you're, you're uplifting new people and giving, you know, seasoned writers a chance to talk together. So you, you, it's a beautiful, it can be a beautiful symbiosis where you get the new folks in with their fresh perspectives and you give them a chance to shine. And then people also get to see that the writers that they already love are there. So I I just don't understand any of the logic that they professed prior to the apology. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I just, I mean, you know, marginalizing people and dismissing concerns and misgendering people in bios. It's just weird. It's just weird. Um, So yeah, I, yeah I feel very it is I don't know I I just yeah I don't know I kept looking 
at tweets, and this is definitely one, like I was, uh, I actually edited this piece and it was one of those ones where things were coming up even after it was scheduled mm-hmm. and we were like, we have to keep updating, we have to keep, <laughs> and I kept looking at these updates, like when is somebody going to say like, who, who is making these decisions yeah. and how did this happen and was there any sort of oversight? Like how did this many things go wrong? And well, I just can't make sense of it. Yeah, my very basic understanding, because I've been poking at that too, is that groups submit bids to host Worldcon, and it's like voluntary. Like there is not a, like there's not one organization in charge of putting on Worldcon, it's a different org every year, and they submit a bid and then it gets voted on whether or not they get the bid or not. And then you put together a committee and you start doing your, you know, you secure your venue, you start doing your programming. So it's not like there's one like Worldcon organizer for all the time, It, it, it rotates and changes. And you can see the 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 people who are in charge of this one um, mm-hmm. on the website, and I just like I is it like that they just did not know what they like? Do they not have much experience, or did they? Or you know, several of the Twitter threads were about how things like this have happened in the yes. past, and part of this is just increased awareness, but part of this also is just like sort of a massive cluster of all of the things that have gone wrong in the past just like occurring together in a really egregious way um I mean that wacky dress code issue like you yeah. y'all have to y'all have to read the piece because it would take us like an hour to explain on air what exactly was happening but um and I really they did publish an apology and they did take down the programming schedule and said they were going to redo it completely. And from what I understand of the follow-up tweets, they are reaching out to several of the queer and uh, persons of color who contacted them about these issues. And hopefully that will mean that whatever comes next will be better. But we're less than a month out from the con. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mid-August is when the con takes place. So it's a pretty intense time to be reshuffling everything, especially when people spend a lot of money getting to these things. So I kind of, I'm just sitting here waiting to see what happens next. Like, And, and probably there will be many more developments by the time this show airs and we'll leave extra links in the show notes but yeah as it stands out of right now um it is it is very much a wait and see moment to to see if this is a true learning moment or if it's just lip service on the part of the organizers yeah hopefully they put together some like if they don't have ground rules already maybe now is the time like to go around to whoever takes you know each year's world con just to have some some common sense rules yeah, and some updates to like how we interact with people and how you like how is it so hard to treat marginalized people with respect is what I'm very you know yeah that I mean that is the question but I I don't know I mean this isn't like a govern there isn't like a governing body as far as I know it's all you know voting and if you're a member which anybody can be a member I'm a member now I signed up literally so I could vote for N.K. Jemison for the Hugos (laughs) I'm not even kidding that is why I mean other people are on the docket that I want to vote for too but I really do want her to get that third Hugo win um, because she deserves it Uh, I just 
so yeah, but it's so decentralized, and then you have things like you know the rabbit and sad puppies incident from a couple years yes. back, and there are there are so many people who have opinions that don't line up with ours, and that's you know they're entitled to their opinions, but this is what it looks like when you ignore that kind of thing. And you ignore, you know, behaving respectfully towards your constituency. And so, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully this is a learning experience. I hope so. What a mess. I know. (laughs) I know. I really want somebody floated like a, I don't know if this was serious or not, but somebody was like, you know who should do the next Worldcon is Wiscon, which has a great reputation for being very feminist and very progressive. And I've been told multiple times that it's the best sci-fi fantasy convention ever. Like one of these years I'm going to get to it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I would vote for that now that I'm a voting member. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Show me show me your receipts like show me your con receipts is what i want um but we'll see what happens we'll see and i i'm probably going to try to be a voting member as well just so that i could you can can still do it i think you can still do it you can still sign up i'll i'll put the link in the show notes okay let's all do this people let's make it better (laughs) (laughs) vote for whoever you want but like this is how change happens right you gotta vote totally right Mm -hmm. um Okay, let's talk about, okay, this is sort of a fun thing. And it's something that I did not think I would be this excited about at this point in my life for whatever (laughs) reason. It's Anne Rice's The Vampire Chronicles, which are in the works at Hulu. Ooh, I was wondering where you were going. (laughs) I was like a huge, I am totally into The Vampire Chronicles. And, but that was like a lot earlier in my life. So I was like, oh, I'm so over it. Like I've seen Interview with a Vampire a million times. (laughs) And then I heard about this news and I was like, ooh, but who are they going to cast? And now I'm all excited about it again for some strange reason. And of course I was like all over the back channel of our Slack um, with all the other contributors, like, going on and on about it. But so Hulu is it, – it has it in development. Anne Rice is the Vampire Chronicles. Um, and so it's the – it's based on the 11-book series. So there's a lot to work with here. And usually, like, a lot of the times lately I've been looking at these series and, like, how are they going to stretch this out? How are they going to find enough content? But with this, there is – you know, plenty of content. So um, if you don't know, of course, the Vampire Chronicles began with the interview with the vampire. If you haven't read the book, you've probably seen or heard of the film adaptation, which Anne Rice was not necessarily happy about herself, but Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, And there are now going to be, there's now going to be an entire series. And I'm trying to see when – I don't think they have, like, a lot of details. So this is another short piece because it just is in development right now. Like, there's no information about casting yet. And I think that's what I'm really looking forward to is finding mm. out who they're going to cast. It's going to be hard for me to, like, not think about it as being, you know, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. But that's pretty silly because the other movies that came out following it didn't have them. So whatever. I'm excited anyway. I confess that I've never read any of those books. That's and okay. No, I know. I know. But I've, I've, I'm, it's just, I don't know. It just didn't happen when I was a teenager. And then I started working in books and could not keep up with anything. Um, but I definitely watched the interview with a vampire and had, like, you know, early vampire, like, teenage feelings about it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I am also very curious to see what 
the casting looks like and who ends up as showrunner because Brian Fuller was involved but has exited. Yeah. And like I I kind of like Brian Fuller. He's done some interesting things. So um I I'm really curious to see what's gonna happen uh and so yeah and like what material they will use not that I will know because again I have not read the books but it's almost tempting enough to make me want to pick up you know the first one at least for a reread yeah Um, I'm trying to think if it's like dated now yeah like how well would it stand up I wonder I wonder so it might be a good time and Anne Rice's son is going to be executive producer on this so Anne Rice's as well and so there's going to be some oversight by them, that's which is that's gonna be gonna interesting, be interesting. Yeah. I know <laughs> right mm-hmm. she's um she's <laughs> she's she's in wow I'm gonna put this diplomatically she's an interesting personality that's a good way to put it <laughs> I did there, a couple of weeks ago or maybe so months ago who knows what day it is um <laughs> there was a piece that was circulating on Facebook or Twitter or whatever about her posting about how she declined to have an editor for a good number of her books because like the creative process could only be between her and her words and an editor would just ruin everything and I was just like oh okay like (laughs) note note to self find out which books had an editor and if I ever go back and reread them only read those because I don't care who you are authors need editors all of them absolutely all of them (laughs) everybody needs an editor everyone that is that is that is my flat belief so (laughs) I I second that I saw that and was like uh-huh. What? Yeah. What? What? <laughs> like, all right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. We'll see what happens with this. Mm. I don't know. I could have my soul crushed, but also- <laughs> I hope you don't get your soul crushed. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be very uh, immortality uh, related. My soul will be crushed, but hopefully. I don't know. I don't know how that relates. Yeah. Just no, that's true. Me. I mean, soul crushing <laughs> is part of the vampire ethos, yes. I'm pretty sure. So, um, Okay, let's move on. <laughs> yes. Uh, so for, I think it's our last um, news piece, I want to give a shout out to the World Fantasy Award finalists, which oh, were yeah. just announced. This makes me happy. Um, they There are several categories, um, and I'm just going to talk about the ones that I care about because I'm a jerk. Yes. Um, but in the novel category, the finalists are City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty, which I really loved. Ka by John Crowley, which I have never heard of and clearly need to look up. The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss. Spoonbenders by Daryl Gregory. The Changeling by Yay. our beloved Victor Laval. And Jade City by Fonda Lee, which I also loved. Um, in long fiction, there are pieces by Simon Avery, Peter S. Beagle, Stephen Graham Jones, who I am a fan of, Ellen Clagis, and J.Y. Yang. I love J.Y. Yang. <laughs> Super excited about that. And then Fonda Lee, Rebecca Roanhorse, Natalia Theodoradu, Fran Wilde, and Carolyn Yakim all have stories. And I'm a big, obviously, I'm a Fonda Lee fan. And this makes two nominations for her this year. Oh, and yeah. then Rebecca Roanhorse, for sure, is great. So, yeah, this is a this is a killer slate. And, and Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado tender and tender by Sophia Samatar both are in the collections category so I just feel like there's so much good stuff in here I'm so excited to see who wins I would not want to be a judge on this one I do not know how I would pick because wow this is going to be like I can't even 
it's difficult for me. Usually I have very strong, like one strong favorite mm-hmm. I want to win. Um, but this is going to be difficult. Like novel, I feel like I'm on the fence between The Changeling and Jade City, which is strange for me. Yeah. I haven't read The City of Brass, though, which sounded – everybody said that that was fantastic. So I was kind of not ready for how much I liked it, to be perfectly wow. honest. I know. I was prepared to enjoy it, but I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I thought it was really immersive and really fun and well-paced, and I just am dying to know what's going to happen next because it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. So Ooh. it's always interesting, too, with with first books in series and these, you know, Changeling is standalone, but mm-hmm. Jade City is the first in a series, and so is City of Brass, and I'm not sure about the others, but yeah, it's, it's always really interesting to me to see how these end up playing out, so yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to find out. Um who actually wins. And I think it says here, oh, it's going to be announced November 1st through 4th at the World Yeah, Fantasy so there's Convention. there's time to read up if you are so inclined and want to dig in there. There's there's lots of time. So Yep, my TBR stack is going to crush me any day now because of these lists. So And and I just realized the Jin Falls in Love is in oh, yeah, anthology. Love I love that book so much. I'm like that's the one that I'm for sure rooting for. The rest of these, like I will be pretty happy, I think, but I really would love the Jin Falls in Love and other stories to win this. That's that's my personal vote in case anyone cares. Good luck, everyone out there. We have our our fingers crossed for all of you and for some of you a little bit more. (laughs) That's right. I'm allowed to have favorites. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Let's see. So now it is time for our second sponsor, which is Contagion by Erin Bowman, uh, courtesy of Epic Reads. This is perfect for fans of Madeline Rue and horror films like Resident Evil. It's a pulse-pounding, hair-raising, utterly terrifying novel that is the first in a duology from the critically acclaimed author of the Taken trilogy. After receiving a a distress call from a distant planet, a skeleton crew arrives to find the planet literally planet littered with the remains of the project, including its members' dead bodies, whoops, as they try to piece together what could possibly have decimated an entire project, they discover that some things are best left buried and some monsters are only too ready to awaken. I do love a good distress call plotline where you show up and everybody's dead. Like that is a trope that I do love. I'm not much of a horror reader, but that's a trope that I'm like, oh, I might make an exception for that trope. That's a thing I enjoy uh so yes horror set in space also always a good time um and as i mentioned bowman's previous work includes the taken trilogy and the stories retribution rails and its companion vengeance road so you can find contagion in stores now so yes if space horror is your thing you'll definitely want to check it out thanks again for sponsoring the show um, so I guess we can get into our, yes. our picks. School stories. Uh, yeah. School stories we're talking about. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. This is so, this is such an interesting genre, right? Because I feel like in fantasy, it's Harry Potter, right? Yes, it's like the number always. one. And then in sci-fi, for a long time, it's been Ender's Game. 
um, by Orson Scott Card, which is like mm, the book itself is aging fine, I think, but the author not so much. Um, Orson Scott Card is not a personal favorite of mine. So, so it is interesting to see. And I was really trying to look for newer ones because there's lots of great older stuff in this genre. Like it is a subgenre of fantasy and sci-fi that there's tons of stuff, but I was trying to get to some of the newer things. Um, And also I was curious to see if I could find things that were not necessarily YA, which it did. So that again was also interesting. Um, So my sci-fi pick is Galaxy Game by Karen Lord, which cover your ears, continuity, people is actually the second book I didn't realize when I read it it didn't matter I liked it anyway (laughs) apparently it is a sequel to the best of all possible worlds um, which was a critically acclaimed book that I swear to god I mean to read one of these days like always I'm gonna get to it Um, but I don't remember why I picked this one up in the first place but I love this book I read it Gosh, close to when it first came out, which was a couple years ago now. It came out in, I want to say, 2016. And it is about a young man named Rafi who lives in a world where psionic powers are real. So, like, telepathy and telekinesis and all of that stuff. Um, Including the power to manipulate others' feelings, like sensations. You can manipulate other people's brains. So, unethical use of that power is obviously a big no-no and is very heavily regulated. And sadly, Rafi comes from a family where his father did unethically use his powers. So this book does have some domestic violence in it. Um, If that's a trigger for you, perhaps you will want to skip it. But the book picks up when Rafi is at um, a school. He's been sent to school by the government And he's like sort of under surveillance because they're nervous about him inheriting his father's tendencies. And he has very strong powers. So he has to wear this helmet thing that limits his his powers. And, you know, he's being sort of poked and prodded and therapized and all of the things that, of course, adults do to children who are at risk or who they consider to be risky. And uh, he does not enjoy it particularly much. Um, The like one thing that he loves at school is this sport called wall running, which literally involves running on walls, but it's like fancy technology version of that. Um, and so he uh, he's like really into that and he's making friends and he and one of his friends decide to run away to a planet where his abilities are the norm instead of the exception because he thinks he'll feel more accepted there and he will be out from under all of this surveillance and he can just like live his life and not be dogged by his family history. But of course, that's not nothing is ever that easy and there's this like intergalactic political situation and there's unrest and civil uprisings and all of these things and he gets sucked into it and he really is very much a babe in the woods like he has no idea kind of what's going on and how the people around him are trying to pull him into it. So you're watching him sort of try to cope with his own powers, cope with this you know, school situation and then deal with this political situation. 
And it's really smart and it's really interesting. The world building is super fascinating. I have really clear memories of the sport, which, you know, sometimes I find that when somebody makes up a sport and then they're like trying to describe it on the page, I'm just like, I can't envision this. Like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just going to skim this part. Um, But I could totally envision what wall running was like. And that was fun for me. So I think this is definitely a good option if you like like that hard sci-fi plus some powers plus some politics plus school it's got all of that going on so that is the galaxy game by karen lord i feel like if you can't really tell it was a it had another book before it kind of is it's fine to read right i it's it's i'm 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 sure the degree i know i'm sure there were things that might have made more sense to me if i had read the first one but i'm very much a reader who like if you like plot me down in the middle and then give me some context clues as we go along like i'm good like i don't need to know all of the like hand wavium technology explanations like it's fine just like just tell me the bare minimum that i need to know and let's move on and good sequel in my opinion do that like they should give you at least a baseline of information and obviously character arcs can develop over time and plot arcs develop over time but I don't know I'm I'm clearly very casual about this yeah me too (laughs) we understand if other people aren't yes I do understand Okay, so my science fiction pick is I, – I did go back to the classics. I was not even thinking. I was like, let me try to like anything I can think of around like that is not Harry Potter. I will just be happy <laughs> with whatever I land on first. And honestly, for science fiction, it was a little harder for me um, – because for some reason, I just didn't even – I didn't even think of this book as taking place in a school, even though it absolutely <laughs> did. So my science fiction pick is Never Let Me Go by Katsuo Ishiguro. Um, and, yeah, it absolutely takes place in a school. Uh, it's such a – I wouldn't have thought of it either, though. It's a good it's, pick. Yeah, it's so strange. I literally had to look up lists of science fiction books that take <laughs> place in schools to have somebody tell me a book I read took place in a school. So <laughs> – This is definitely one of the most quietly creepy books I've ever read. Um, And I'm creeped out by strange things, so maybe not for everybody. But at first glance, Never Let Me Go appears to be a story about a woman remembering her school days and her old friends. But you can tell right away from the way she talks about her work as an adult that something isn't quite right with this world. And the story is told by Kathy, who's remembering her time at this secluded English boarding school called Hailsham. Um, and per- particularly her later teen years. And Hailstrom has a feel of a sort of experimental art school almost, where students are encouraged to create art and peers sort of judge each other by their artistic accomplishments in class, the way, you know, high school students judge each other about everything. Um, but in like their fixation on certain abilities and behaviors seems a little bit off. And one of the students uh, Kathy makes friends with is this boy named Tommy who gets bullied because he doesn't really fit in. And fitting in at this school is, as in all high schools, of utmost importance to everybody. And she has another friend, Ruth, who kind of starts this story. Um, She's remembering her relationship with Ruth and what happened to them. And, yeah, so she's an important part of the story. She sets off these recollections. And throughout the book, you never hear about any of the kids' parents or their lives before Hailsham. And Kathy and her friends hear something about the true nature of their lives from one of their teachers. But it's all sort of cloak and dagger. Like, nobody spells this out. And 
I went into this book blind and was like, what is happening? Um, the So the information kind of disturbs the students, but there's also this sort of stiff upper lip thing that's happening. And the story follows Kathy and her friends through their final days at the school. So this is um, what I was saying about being about their teen years, their later teen years. And it reaches this climax when the group of friends take an unauthorized field trip to learn something new and taboo about themselves, and Kathy in particular. The story is just, it's really weird and really unsettling, and it explores the concept of humanity and the human soul. And under every layer of this normal teenage life they're living, if you consider going to a secluded English boarding school, normal teenage life, (laughs) (laughs) I don't personally, but, you know, uh, that's just not my experience. But there's this, there's a current of the uncanny going on here. And, you know, it, it asks this question, what is it that makes us sentient? What makes us human? And I feel like I have a particular fondness for these sci-fi stories, which is why I think I also love that book, Mem, by Bethany Morrow so oh, much. yeah. Yeah, so the problem here is that it's really difficult to talk about the book and even why it's dystopian because the nature of the school and the children and this world creeps up on you. And that's what I really enjoyed most about reading the story because, again, I went into it not knowing anything, even though this book was, like, published way back in 2005 and I read it probably two years ago. Um, And it's been adapted for film, so you can watch the movie after. I haven't watched the movie. I'm actually going to download it after I watch all of the multitude of dance shows that I were talking I, like, gave you a list. You better get to that I know. I have an assignment, people. That's right. The very important dance show assignment. Yes. So I'm going to watch this afterwards. (laughs) I'm going to watch the adaptation. Um, But you might know Kasuo Ishiguro best for his Booker Prize winning novel, The Remains of the Day, also another movie. Um, And he's a Nobel Prize winning novelist. He has this particular style of writing I've mostly enjoyed. Um, The prose is really spare and dry, but it has a really deep emotional impact. And he's very rangy. Like, he wrote another science fiction and fantasy book. It's actually just fantasy called The Buried Giant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I found that that was a it was a good book. I found it perhaps less approachable than Never Let Me Go. Um, But if you want more from him in the realm of science fiction and fantasy, then you can see what you think of The Buried Giant. Um, which again is fantasy, but this one was, again, I've been talking about Never Let Me Go by Katsuo Ishiguro. So interesting. I'm, I, I, for the record, I'm very impressed by how you managed to talk around the spoilers. Oh my goodness. Because I so never hard. know how to describe that book. Um, and it <laughs> is, I mean, it is enough in pop culture that it's totally possible people could already be spoiled for it. But if you don't, yeah. if you're not spoiled, it is really fun to go into. Um, but yeah, so interesting. So oh. I, I noticed a sort of unofficial theme about the school stories that I picked that I'm just now sort of processing. And that's my picks both include students who go to a school and then get sucked into this like much bigger political situation. And now I'm like, well, that's also Harry Potter, right? And that's definitely Ender's Game. And I think there's a lot of school stories which is interesting to think about and now I'm gonna have to fall down a rabbit hole of like what school stories are literally just about school like are there (laughs) any that are just about like like you were saying like being like a teenager in a school and having teenage school problems I think that's probably 
I don't know. That's I have to tough. think about this now. I have to think. If you can think of any and you're listening, email us at sffyeahepicriot.com because I'm really curious about that, how long that list is. I'm sure they exist, but how many of them are there? Um, so my fantasy pick is Poppy War, The Poppy War by R.F. Quang, um, which comes with a trigger warning for graphic violence, including rape. This book is dark, it is gory, and it is unrelenting. So if that is not what you're looking for right now, you're going to want to skip it. But I thought it was really well done. And it is not at all used for, the violence is not used for shock value. It is really used to illuminate these sort of terrible systems that the main character is dealing with. Um, and this is a, it's like a medieval-esque fantasy inspired by China, but it's also in Chinese history, but it's also inspired in part by the Sino-Japanese War, um, which happened more recently than that. So there's, the author is doing a lot. The author has also said in interviews that she was partially inspired by Ender's Game, which is like, like that's a lot of inspirations. And it I, you can tell in this debut that it's really, she's really working with it. And I was really impressed. So it's about a young woman named Rin who lives in this sort of backwater province um, and has very like terrible life prospects. She's a war orphan and she's been adopted by this couple that are just using her for free labor. And they're probably going to marry her off to somebody horrible for the price of the dowry. And she has basically no options. Um, and they are not pleasant to her. And the, her one sort of out that she can see is that there is this empire-wide test that you can take that will, if you do well, you'll get placed at one of these academies and you'll learn to be a soldier or an officer or a general or a scribe or whatever. Like you'll be, you'll be placed and you will have a career for the government, um, such as it is. And so she decides that she's going to take this test no matter what. She kind of has to like, you know, smuggle books into her room and like bribe people to tutor her and the whole nine yards but she takes it and she aces it so she which nobody was expecting they like think she's cheated there's this whole thing about it but she gets sent to the most prestigious academy which is a military school um, in the northern area of this sort of pseudo china and she gets there and she's like great now i'm gonna be among peers and I'm going to learn things and I've proven myself, but like, nope, she's dark. She's poor. The rest of these kids are often from very well-to-do families. She's from the South. They're from the North. They're rich. Like, it's just like all of the class and sort of um, colorism differentials and that you could want exist for her or that you could not want rather. Uh, and so she's grappling with that um, and with the disregard of many of her teachers and trying to prove herself regardless because she's just super stubborn like bless her she just is like <laughs> not gonna give up um and then the war like they they've been in this sort of uneasy truce um but the federation of mugen which is sort of a japanese inspired civilization um it, they've been in a truce but now the war is picking back up and so all of these kids who are at military school are drafted into the war and this is war at its worst it's really rough reading this the second third of this book is is rough um but what Quang is doing is really looking at like 
what those realities are. And so many young people are drafted into wars before they are even remotely ready. I mean, who's ever ready? But like, you know, you've got teenagers and you're sending them to the front lines. And what is that going to be like? And then, of course, there's magic involved and there's assassins and political shenanigans and who's betraying who and all of this stuff. Um, And let me make it very clear that this is an anti-hero story. Rin is not like the white knight hero gonna like fix everything. I mean, she aims to end the war, but how she is going to go about doing it is not like the white knight version. So if you like villain esque like anti-hero stories and you like to sort of have your heart ripped out of your chest and stomped on a bunch this is definitely a book you want to pick up like I I do like that from time to time I'm not gonna lie like I, I like a book that makes me feel things and I like an ambitious project and this is both of those things it's incredibly ambitious it's really well done um and it is just I don't know I was so impressed and and then okay so I finished the book and I was like where did this come from like what what <laughs> wow. has happened on these pages like I need to know more and there are a bunch of great interviews with the author that you can fall down and nice little google hole for um and so yeah so there's more uh sort of context available to you if you read it and end up wanting that which i did um and it is the first in a series there's gonna be more and so i'm just really waiting to see what comes next it's very it's very intense and very compelling so so that's the poppy war by rf quang well, you know, you sold me on dark and anti-hero. So I, have to- <laughs> I do know that you love a villainous. I do. It's one of the I things I love myself. about you. <laughs> I'm like rubbing my hands, laughing evilly. <laughs> so ridiculous. Okay. Um, my f- fantasy pick is actually a portal fantasy, hmm. um, which I love. And yeah, so... This book, it's Every Heart a, Every Heart is a Doorway by Shannon McGuire. I feel like I wrote that wrong. I think it's Every Shannon. Heart a Door. It's, yeah. yeah, Every Heart a Doorway by Shannon McGuire. I'm so bad. Uh, so it won a Hugo, a Locus, and a Nebula Award, among other things. And I kept hearing about it everywhere. I think, like, actually our, our insiders were talking about it mm-hmm. a lot. And that's when I was like, okay, I finally I have to pick up this book. I was totally sucked in. So it's a novella. So it's a very quick read. Um, I'm already on the third book. And you know what a slow reader I am. So that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I went with the audiobook, which is a little over five hours, just to give you an idea of how short it is. So if you want to um, get as many books into your month's reading, this is probably a good choice. And it's just such an engrossing, creative story about the fallout of finding and entering these doorways to other worlds. Um, and the, mo- the main protagonist in this story is Nancy, who arrives at Eleanor West's home for Wayward Children. This is the Wayward Children series. And like all of the kids at this boarding school, um, Nancy is sent by her parents who don't really believe well don't believe at all that she disappeared into this other world and think her story is the result of trauma from whatever happened to her while she was lost and like all of the children at the school and some of the staff there nancy is pining for this lost home 
Um, not the one in the real world with her parents, but this magical world where she was evicted, um, not by her own choice. So they have this sort of like group therapy where they all talk about their worlds and sort through their feelings and that sort of thing. And all of their worlds are very different and they try to make sense of it a little bit at this school, but it, it, like there are things, there are gray areas and... Um, some of the worlds are nonsense-based, some of them are logic-based, and all of these worlds have shaped the kids in different ways, so they all sort of exhibit these traits of the worlds they came up in. Um, so yeah, some of them are nonsensical, and some have weird abilities, some of them have an aged, for instance. And shortly after Nancy arrives at this school, a series of serial murders strike, and this creates uh, suspicion among the students, and it causes everyone to fear for their lives. They don't know who it is. They don't know what's happening. Um, they just keep waking up to find an, yet another student dead. And the murders are really strange and really deliberate, uh, which makes them serial murders. And Nancy ends up befriending a number of the students who are mostly like her on the fringes. So the fringes of this fringe group of people. <laughs> so they are absolutely the strangest people. Nobody really wants to associate them with them for various reasons. Um, they're already outcasts, but Nancy's group is composed of these other outcasts. And of them, Jack turned out to be my favorite character. Uh, I don't know why she kind of reminds me of Lilith from Frasier, but she's very like, Ooh, yeah, nice I, reference. Yeah, it was so weird. And maybe it was like the audiobook too. And like the sort of flat monotone is it was really read well. Um, and that was the first person I thought of. And I was like, I like this character a lot, which is great because the second book down among the sticks and bones is all about Jack and Jack's sister, Jill. So I was very excited to move right on to that. Um, but anyway, because the police can't be involved uh, with these murders and the kids might all end up out of a home where people actually believe them and their stories about these other magical worlds, and because the suspicion spreading around the school is becoming dangerous, Nancy and her friends get sleuth-like, and they try to uncover the predator behind this killing spree. So I think if you're like me and you enjoy really dark, wry, cynical stories about twisted children in these like magical leaning boarding schools, you'll enjoy this novella. And I also thought that this was YA going in, and I think it often gets shelved as YA in Goodreads at least, but I don't think I would put this in YA, and I know a lot of people or some people had some like eh, feelings about it because some of the like morality issues and the decisions the kids make are kind of like, I wouldn't teach my teenager to make these decisions. But I, I think that it's more of when you actually look at how this is supposed to be shelved, it's not really YA, but there's definitely like a crossover element because of the kid's age and they're in high school and this is a boarding school sort of situation. So I don't know, you read it and tell me what you think, whether it fits into that category. But um, so the last thing, the... The book Every Art a Doorway is the first book in the Wayward Children series, but I think that these can be read as standalone books. This is another gray area like we were talking about. Um, I think they're described actually as they can be standalone books. There are some references to things in the other books, like I'm on the third one and there are some references in the third one definitely but the second one I I just feel like they can be read by themselves but um I would definitely recommend reading it from the start just because they are all so good I have not 
disliked a single one I've come across yet. And the final book is out January 2019. So you can space these out. Like I know they're very short, so maybe it's not that easy to space them out. <laughs> but um, definitely read this one. It was fantastic. And again, that was Every Heart a Doorway by Shannon McGuire. Do you think that the main character's name is a Nancy Drew reference? <gasps> That's so smart. I didn't even I'm think about it. I'm just wondering out loud. Because you said Nancy, and I was like, <gasps> Nancy Drew, she's on the case, I wonder. <laughs> Nancy Drew with white, and, like, white streaked black hair and awesome. a sort of goth sensibility. I'll, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. <gasps> yeah, I want um, a series of books. Yeah, for sure. Well, this would count then as one that doesn't get sucked up into big political intrigue, right? You're right. So that's one for our list. That's one for our list. I feel very successful now. I didn't even need to accomplish (laughs) something today other than talking about books. Okay, well, that's it. That's our show. And thank you so much for listening. And as usual, you can email us. Let us know um, your thoughts at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And, of course, please do, if you have a moment, review us on Apple Podcasts. It definitely helps people find us. Um, and you can find us online as well. I'm on Instagram at Williams. Uh, that's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you, Jen? I am on Tumblr mostly these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two N's. Well, until next time, everyone, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.